Welcome back, everybody, to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world covering everything Pac-12 news, Pac-12 football, Pac-12 recruiting. You can follow the podcast for free on iTunes, TuneIn Radio. We just applied for Google Play. If you're one of the five people that use that, we should be on that platform as well. Follow the podcast on Twitter, 12-Pack Radio, at 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio. And this is a continuation of our 12-part series where we're previewing every single Pac-12 team and we're bringing on our friends basically but also experts <laughs> that that we've been blessed to be able to uh to be affiliated with over time and uh this is our USC preview if you have not listened to our Washington preview with our friends at the Dog Pod please do that um again you could subscribe on iTunes my name is Brian Conger. I am the host of Arizona's football podcast, Wildcat Radio, and I am joined by Mr. Rob Bowron, who is the uh, extraordinaire behind the Beta Rank Advanced uh, College Football Statistics. Rob, what's going on, man? I was actually just going to say I'm one of the people that use Google Play. Uh, oh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> and I actually do get the podcast on Google Play. But yes, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about USC, who is always an interesting team that uh, no matter who you are on the conference, you end up covering. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and to do that, we have so we have basically three favorite guests. Uh, my personal favorite, who's been my friend for like 12 years, Josh Worthington, but th- he's really not important right now. The other two are Kate Scott and Alicia De Artola over at the Rain of Troy podcast. Uh, Alicia, before you say hi, I just want to mention that there we basically subscribe to every Pac-12 podcast. This is how we get our news. This is how we've gotten, kind of gotten plugged into the Pac-12 community. And the Rain of Troy podcast is the gold standard for podcasts that, that are affiliated with with a team. And the the coverage that you guys have, you have access to the team. You're on the field. Um, you do a lot of really cool stuff behind the scenes. You have a subscription model, which I think is incredible because you do some free stuff and some stuff that's more above and beyond. But just know that I am a big fan. And if you are a listener, a USC fan, definitely subscribe subscribe to the Reina Troy podcast but how are you oh I'm great I'm blushing over here (laughs) (laughs) huge compliments there very very much appreciated that's we we strive to uh to be the gold standard or at least to to try so (laughs) thanks for that but yeah other than the blushing I'm uh I'm doing pretty good just trying to keep cool out here in LA where the uh the sun is trying to burn us all Oh, it's it's uh it's intense, and even up in the Pacific Northwest where I'm at, it's really rough right now. Um, before we before we go into USC, uh, what's going on at Reina Troy? Anything that you want to direct people? Where are you on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, you can find me personally at Penguin of Troy uh, on Twitter, and then you can also find the the site at Reign of Troy on Twitter. Um, we're just we're just getting ready to gear up for the season to actually begin, so we're. Um, we're still doing just our, sort of our weekly podcast, more or less. We're going to bump that up to twice a week for on the free end. And then we have the Patreon, uh, which is patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, where we're doing all sorts of ambitious, crazy, like uh, extra content, uh, bonus content, I think we call it. Um, I'm rewatching all the games from 2017 and doing podcasts on them. We're doing, um, we just started our fall camp previews that we're doing uh, three times a week. A uh, little uh, unit by unit breakdowns for that. So, yeah, we have a, a lot coming down the pipeline. And then I'll always, always, com has hopefully daily content. Uh, that's, that's dependent on me, but <laughs> more or less daily content that we're trying to, you know, keep everything, uh, everything in front of us for, for all the, all the USC stuff that USC fans could ever want. Nice. Well, let's get into this because I, think this is the most interesting team in the Pac-12 
likely side by side with UCLA, which I know you never want to do that, but, uh, but these are two really <laughs> interesting teams down in Los Angeles. Um, so be, before we, we kind of go into the position by position, Rob, you ran the, the beta rank kind of, uh, statistics on USC. Let's go, let's start with the offense here. What did you see, um, in the numbers that USC produced in 2017 on the offensive side? And then we'll get into the defense out of that. And I'd love to hear kind of Alicia's take on it because I think sometimes what you see on the field and the numbers can match up. Sometimes they don't. So let's see where we're at. Yeah, I mean, USC's offense last year was what they were good, but by no means great. I mean, this wasn't some sort of this wasn't some sort of great USC offense like we sort of seen in the past. Um, what they were very, very good at was explosive plays. Um, so they ranked number seven in explosiveness in the model. Um, they didn't give up a lot of negative drives, so they didn't go three and out or go backwards very often, which is also very good. They were pretty good at play efficiency, but what really hurt USC's offense and sort of kept them from being excellent was drive efficiency. They they could not often put together longer drives, um, and they weren't they were they had some moments. And there are some very bad defenses in the Pac-12 um, where you're able to sort of line it up and run it. Um, the the game that USC had against Stanford, Stanford didn't have a great defense. Uh, the game they had against Arizona where they were able to run it and sort of salt it away and, and put together drives. The model sort of said, well, those defenses weren't very good, so we're not going to we're not going to give you a lot of credit for those. Um, so they weren't great at drive efficiency, dra- ranking actually near the bottom of the NCAA in that uh, metric. Uh, they were better on the pass than they were on the run. Uh, not surprising when you have Sam Darnold. Uh, and some of the receiving talent they have, uh, but they really they struggled with four four new offensive line starters, and um, the line I think did a, you know Darnold's numbers took a hit. He he had some more interceptions uh, and often had guys in his face more often than the year the year before. Um, it really it was not sort of a banner year, even though they did go out and win the conference. Um, third down, they were pretty good. They they did not give up a lot of disruptive plays. Uh, and Darnold actually is a little more deceptive and good on his feet than people give him credit for. And I think that helped considerably. Uh, they were actually not great in the red zone. So if you look at the number of points they put up or the number of attempts they had in the red zone, they weren't great. But that actually is something you somewhat expect to see for really explosive offenses. Explosive offenses often don't put up points by getting into the red zone. They often score on big plays outside of the red zone. Um, they didn't punt often again, not a lot of three and outs, not a lot of negative drives. And despite the fact that Darnold's turnovers were, were up versus the prior year, they didn't have a ton of fumbles. And so they didn't, they didn't rate out with a ton of turnovers either. So it was a, they were about a middle of the road power five. I sort of rate power five teams as sort of on the one to 65 ish scale, one to 64 scale. So coming in number 34, they were kind of a middle of the road power five offense last year. Yeah, number 34 with some big names, obviously, Ronald Jones, like you mentioned, Sam Darnold. Alicia, you know, what you saw on the field, does that line up with kind of Rob's uh, breakdown? Or And if it doesn't, like, where where would kind of the discrepancies be? Yeah, I was saying before we started recording, I, I was taking a look at these numbers, and I was actually surprised at how perfect they aligned with my perception of what USC was in 2017 on offense because a lot of times the numbers don't really speak to how frustrating USC's offense was because like you said they come out to top you know top 35 which in the grand scheme of things is pretty good but when you look at who USC had available to them when you know uh, over at Randa Troy we're huge fans of Ronald Jones and we argue he's one of the top five running backs at USC ever 
And when you think about the the running backs that USC has had, that's paying him a huge compliment. That's high praise, and, and right yeah. so exactly. Too. Oh, absolutely. I will go to the we will go to the mat on that 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 he really was a truly exceptional running back. And you look at the rushing numbers; they weren't. You know, they 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 really should have been better. And you look at Darnold, and you look at Deontay Burnett, and you look at some of the receivers USC has, the tight ends that USC has, the the just the players and the playmakers that USC has. 34 should not have been the rank like they were they they were good like 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 you said they were good they weren't great and I think the numbers absolutely play out exactly what you're talking about for me like you talked about the drive efficiency stands out the red zone points per attempt stands out the turnovers stand out as as sort of those drastically low ranking uh, nationally scores that really explain why a team that's as explosive as seventh in the nation and and uh, you may have to explain how do you um, how do you term explosiveness in terms of like what makes an explosive play like what what's the yardage on that 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 you get to that because I'm I'm just curious. So for it's it's measured on drives where you average on that drive more than seven and a half yards per play. Gotcha. Um, which is quite high. I mean, most most drives are not averaging seven and a half yards right. per play. But that's um, totally USC. That's absolutely USC because they would. You know, you you watch these games and they're, you know, hitting 10 yards a pop, 10 yards a pop, 10 yards a pop, stall. And that explains <laughs> to me how their explosiveness is seventh, but then red zone attempts. Like, And, and the reason I ask is you mentioned that, you know, reds, a lot of times explosive teams don't have great red zone numbers. And I'm, I, I absolutely see how that could be. But at the same time, the USC is absolutely the case study for an explosive team that the red zone numbers actually do point to. A huge flaw in the in the system in that you're getting 15 20 yards down the field in inside the 25 yard line and then all of a sudden you just lose your mind and it was goal line problems it was going for fourth down all the time in that red zone because they didn't trust the kicker and you know those kinds of things play into how these numbers uh, end up end up turning out the way that they do but that's ultimately why USA didn't score more points and ultimately why despite winning the Pac-12 you talk to a lot of USC fans, there's a huge ton of dissatisfaction. And it's because USC was scraping by in these games. And a big part of that was the offense was scraping by in these games. The offense wasn't efficient in any way, shape or form. And when you're not efficient, you're just you're going to sort of live and die by Sam Darnold making the big play. And that's pretty much what happened to USC in in 2017, more or less. Yeah, that Texas game it was a perfect example of uh, of USC. I watched that whole game at a bar, and I was tearing my hair out because I bet on USC. And I'm like, "You gotta be freaking kidding me! <laughs> it's just Texas. It's not. It's not like old Texas. It's new Texas. Come on!" Uh, and you just saw a lot of that stuff stall out. Well, let's move over to the defense here. Um, so they ranked 33rd in the country, which again is kind of pretty uh, uh, middle of the road, but still, I mean, I think most Arizona would certainly take 33. 33rd in the country. Um, Rob, what do we have in this uh, in this defense in 2017 by the numbers? So they're a little more, I mean, they're a lot more balanced. Not a little more balanced. They're a lot more balanced than uh, USC's offense. Um, so nothing in particular stands out as great. Nothing in particular stands out as, as really bad. Um, so they were they were decent to drive efficiency. They, they you know, ranking 39th. So they were able to get off, to get teams off the field, even if they were giving up, you know, an occasional big play on the drive. Um, they were able to force or, or not able to get them right off the field on a three and out. They were able to, to find ways to get off the field, which is good, which is something that I usually put towards good play calling. Um, just as I would say on drive efficiency, drive efficiency, play calling really matters. 
Um, so they were they had some good play calling in there, and I, I do like Clancy Pendergast as a defensive coordinator. Um, they actually they faced a tougher schedule, so they came in at twenty fifth. Um, they faced a tougher slate of uh, offenses than the the defenses that the offense faced. Um, they were better on the pass than they were against the run, uh, which is interesting. I think the the secondary was very good last year. I think the pass rush really suffered a bit with with Gustin out. Um, yeah, that was but, a huge blow. Yeah, and uh, a reason I think to to look at this defense this year as being potentially very very good uh, is him coming back. But um, they were still good at the, against the pass. But it's something that coming back though that Gustin's not necessarily going to help them against the run, and that's something that they are going to have to to pick up against because they only ranked forty sixth against the run. Um, they were they were actually very good, very very good on forcing field goals or causing turnovers in the red zone. Um, they came in at ninth um, at red zone, red zone points per attempt, which is quite good. Um, and again, that's a, that's a sign of good play calling, being able to buckle down uh, in the red zone. Um, yeah. I mean, there, nothing else sort of really, I think stands out. They were, they were a, a good unit, um, but with everything they have coming back and then Gustin coming back, I, I think there's a lot of potential there for this year. Alicia, did that line up with what uh, what you saw? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the idea that I I, I think I, I totally agree with the idea that they weren't terrible at everything and they weren't great at everything necessarily. Um, they, they were, let's call them average uh, in in terms of just sort of the way that the way that I assess a USC defense, and I think comparing them to USC's offense like being average and consistently so <laughs> was a breath of fresh air because you just you sort of knew what you were going to get from the defense on any given day um and i i've i've talked about this a lot this offseason that like you know you look at S&P plus numbers you look at ESPN like F- FPI numbers you look at uh, th- these the, the beta numbers all that kind of stuff they're not super generous to USC's defense and i think just because numbers wise they did give up yards and they they were basically the opposite of USC's offense in that you would you could move the the ball in the middle of the field but once you'd gotten to the red zone that's where they came alive and that's where they forced huge turnovers and that's where they got off the field and forced field goals instead of touchdowns and and did all those things that you really want to see from your your defense when their backs are against the wall basically everything that USC's offense didn't do um <laughs> so that's why I have a huge affinity to like to Clancy Pendergast in general and to this defense in general I think um, I think the, the thing that really uh, that I think you also pointed out the the idea that they played a much tougher strength of schedule in the Pac-12, the defenses the, the the defenses face better offenses than the offenses face defenses, and I think that's absolutely the case for what happened with USC's defense, particularly because the level of difficulty for USC's defense was was harder in the sense of who they were facing, but also the circumstances. I think it goes under the radar just how injury hit this defense was. Um, you guys mentioned Port Augustine, but Christian Rector, the guy who replaced Port Augustine, broke his hand and was out for several weeks. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The the defensive line, uh, you know, the, I, the the run defense certainly left a lot to be desired. But then you sort of look at it and go like, like, damn, if you look at the defensive line that USC put out there in front of Notre Dame, like all of a sudden that game makes a lot more sense. Because guys who should have been redshirting and guys who shouldn't have ever seen the field as redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores were out there in critical downs trying to stop a, a Notre Dame team that just totally outmatched them because these were not the guys who were supposed to be on the field for USC. They lost 
um, some really, really key players on the defensive line, and they didn't have a lot of depth on the defensive line to begin with. So I think that uh, you know m- might explain a little bit the the difficulty that USC had against the run. Um, and then the, the I think it's the, the numbers are so interesting because I've seen this pretty much all the stat all the stats uh, places you can look at. They all do like USC's pass defense, which is so interesting to me because if I was going to point out the one big glaring red flag for USC Stevens in 2017, it would be the pass defense, but in the sense that it's very feast or famine. So they'd either absolutely shut you down or give up the 70-yard touchdown pass. And I think that's, if I could pick one thing for USC defense to fix going into 2018, it's just cut out one of those 50-yard touchdown passes a game, <laughs> and things will be very, very different. Uh, cut out one of those blown coverages a game, and the the defensive numbers, I think, would, would reflect a little bit more um, how actually quite effective, uh, in my opinion, that USC's defense was in 2017. But um, it was just singular plays that would totally undo all the effort that they had done, you know, in, in, in four or five plays before where they were actually, you know, showing like, oh, wow, the defense is actually good. Wait, no, there's a touchdown. So that, <laughs> that's, that's – and you can't – like, the numbers, I don't think they can quantify that kind of thing. Like the, oh, well, there's, the, there's that dumb play in touchdown. Yeah, I'm laughing because Arizona gave up like 40 or 40 points a game. Or yeah. something. It probably wasn't that bad, but it seemed like it was that bad. So that's why I'm laughing along. It's I not mean, a, we, your did. we were ranked like 116th. So like, yeah, sure. You know? Like, yeah. And yeah, all of these things I'm saying are re- are like USC relativity because yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we won't need to go into Arizona's defense uh, <laughs> on this particular thing, but you know, US, we we look at USC and it's like, what? You ranked outside of the top 25? Like, you're the worst defense ever, um, <laughs> which is just sort of entitled USC perspective. Well, well let, how was it? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Because I mean, you mentioned the Notre Dame game and the Ohio State game is an example that comes into my head because sort of in the inside of the sort of advanced stats community, if you will, when that uh, USC and Ohio State game got put together, everyone was like, oh, this could get ugly. Um, and everybody that doesn't pay attention to advanced stats is like, this could be the game of the bowl season. I mean, I think yeah. I had I think I had Ohio State with like a 90% chance of winning that game going wow. in. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was – so how was the season sort of perceived by USC fans? Because, yes, you have a Pac-12 championship. Yes, you have – uh, a lot of wins. I mean, good season record-wise, but uh, I mean the advanced stats weren't crazy. Like when when USC went out and played teams that like that were very good outside of conference, like Ohio State, and Ohio State was one of the best-ranked teams. I mean, despite their com- keep completely getting boat raced in Iowa City, was was one of the best teams in the model last year, um, and Notre Dame, they 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 showed that they weren't in that league last year. Um, so how did how did USC fans sort of feel about the season? Because it, it seems like a mixed bag in my in my book. But oh, abs- absolutely. Here's the best way that I can describe how USC fans felt about that season. Um, a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago, we asked for the unpopular opinions of USC fans. So like, what is your unpopular opinion? And like ninety percent of the responses were, I actually think Clay Hilton's doing an okay job. Okay. USC yeah. fans like they're the 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 ones that are loud are the ones that are like screaming about how like last season when USC won their first Pac-12 championship in almost a decade was not good enough. It's the worst coaching staff, the worst team ever. 
um, you know, 10 wins, men wins, whatever, like really unsatisfying. So, and, and, and I bring up the like unpopular opinion thing because I do think there is a split in the fan base where like, there's like this silent majority that's kind of sitting there going like, yeah, we're waiting to see. And it's, it's, it's kind of okay. Like cool winning the Pac-12 championship. We obviously want to compete in against the Ohio States of the world, but you know, it's, it's not so bad. And then there's like this really loud, like 25% of fans that think the sky is falling and that, you know, Troy is burning and, and all this kind of stuff. So there's, there's sort of this weird, this weird dichotomy, but I think in general, even the, even the fans who are on the more positive side, like they're, they're framing that as an unpopular opinion because it was a weirdly unsatisfying season for how just objectively successful it was, which I, I think you get at, you get at with these numbers. Absolutely. The idea that like, yeah, USC won the 10 games, and yeah, USC was winning games that they should. They were doing it ugly, though. Um, they were, you know, even, like, my favorite the, my favorite game to point to from 2017 was the Oregon State game, which was, for all intents and purposes, like, the only true blowout of the season, except that it, like, that game should have been, like, 70 to nothing. Like, Oregon <laughs> State was really bad last yeah. year, and USC barely, like, I know they. it wasn't like that they barely put them away. I think they, you know, it's like a 38 to 10 or whatever. Yeah, 38-10. So it's a 28-point win that should have been a 60-point win. And I think that's exactly where USC fans are coming down on, is that the 28-point the wins should have been 60-point wins. The 3-point wins should have been 15, 16-point wins. And the, you know, 40-point losses to Notre Dame and the really generously, like the, that 24-7 loss to Ohio State is extraordinarily generous to sort of how that game could have gone if USC's defense hadn't done what USC's defense does, which is be kind of sort of mostly good, but not great. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of dissatisfaction, uh, which is just weird to process because in the grand scheme of things, it was a, a successful season. It's just when you can point to, like you said, the games against the good teams were, were all bad. Well, I'd say the critics have a could have a field day, could, uh, because Hel- Helton has this crazy project in front of him. And Let's go position by position, starting with the most important <laughs> position here. So, so we're drawing all the information from here on till, uh, till the end of the podcast from our 2018 completely uncalled for Pac-12 football preview, which is available at Wildcat Radio AZ. Um, and basically we've got, which is excellent, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you, le- it's funny because we, you know, you do it and then you want to run it by somebody that like is actually in the know and we try to follow everything, but, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, you can miss some stuff. And the oh, t- for sure. And the title of this preview, or USC preview, was um, was the USC Trojans. You forgot to cast the star, and uh, we have a Crayola drawing for for every Pac-12 uh, team. And this one was USC football presents the Avengers, starring Rob Schneider. And and the <laughs> the idea behind it was basically that there are this this team has all of the pieces together, but then you look at the quarterback and. You look at the history of USC, and it's Carson Palmer, Sam Darnold, Matt Leinart, Matt Barkley. These are just like the recent ones, and then it's JT Daniels? Question uh, mark. What, so what's going on down there in Los Angeles, and what's the quarterback situation look like now that Darnold's uh, made the jump into the NFL? Oh, it's gonna be. I can't wait for fall camp to start because then I can 
either confirm or deny the JT Daniels thing. Because I'm at the point where, you know, going into spring camp, I would have told you Matt Fink's probably going to win the job because USC's coaches are generally cautious and they will, they generally go with the, the veteran guy who's not going to make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. um, or isn't going to be perceived as the guy who makes a lot of mistakes. So I would have pegged Matt Fink. And then we went into spring camp and Matt Fink and Jack Sears were in a daily battle to see who could be the worst. Um, and I, <laughs> I don't want to be like ungenerous to those guys because they're trying and they're 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 working through a lot of pressure and they're trying to to fill huge shoes and I totally understand that but at the same time their spring camp performances were the opposite of encouraging and I am someone who was like I said going into it was going to be pretty open to the idea of a Matt Fink run offense I was readying myself to write you know the the article saying like USC can win with Matt Fink because he's just going to, you know, distribute the ball like a point guard and it's, it's just going to be Cody Kessler 2.0. And, you know, Cody Kessler had his flaws, but Cody Kessler also was a half-decent quarterback you didn't need to worry about. And I was perfectly fine with that. But that is not what happened during the spring. So I'm basically at the point where why not JT Daniels? I know he's supposed to be in his senior year of high school, but also you're only going to get three years out of this kid anyways. He's supposed to have this cerebral mind, and if he's if he's able to pick up the the playbook quickly enough, then why not just get it going? Yeah, like he's going to be out of here in three years anyways. And to provide some context, so Matt Fink uh, backed up Sam Darnold last year, but he only had six completions on nine attempts, so very little uh, experience in terms of the actual gameplay. Jack Sears because USC didn't actually win enough games to experience garbage. Well, they didn't win games. In a fashion that could experience garbage time in 2017. Yeah, which is so important. And we see yeah. this. Uh, there's a number of teams in the Pac-12. My favorite example is Cal when they brought in, I think it was Webb uh, from uh, Texas Tech. And Sonny Dykes didn't play their backup the entire time. I'm like, you won four games. Why wouldn't you put in your backup to at least yeah. get some serious? So, oh, my gosh, <laughs> driving me nuts. Um, but so Matt Fink uh, didn't have a lot of playing time. Jack Sears was the uh, number four pro-style quarterback of 2017, but isn't putting it together like you had mentioned, Alicia. And JT Daniels is the number two pro-style quarterback of 2018. A lot of people will say he is a college, fre- uh, a high school senior that graduated early, but he's older. I mean, I think he's 18. It's yeah. not like he's 16 years old going to, to USC, right? Yeah, he, he I believe, is already 18. Uh, he was one of the... Those you know quarterbacks these days they hold them back in eighth grade so that they can be uh, developed more when they get to high school. So that's exactly what happened to JT Daniels. And like I said, he's this cerebral. Like there've been a bunch of uh, profiles on him now, and you sort of read about him, and he's like he is um, that kind of like um, oh my lord, UCLA's quarterback who I am now totally oh, blanking on. Oh Rosen? my gosh. This happens to me. Wait, sorry, he was yeah, forgettable anyway. I mean, really, wasn't that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. no, no. he he's Josh Rosen. Like if Josh Rosen wasn't as sort of abrasive of as a personality. Okay. Like in in the sense of like he's extraordinarily intelligent, um, and just sort of like is up on a different plane than most sort of high school kids are, um, in terms of the, where his mind is working and what he's interested in. Uh, so if he's sort of ahead of the curve there in that kind of maturity and, you know, Josh Rosen was able to come in and start as a freshman. So I just, I just don't see why not. 
So, so I have two scenarios here. Actually, well, I, I, <laughs> yes, well, but Josh, Josh Rosen did not have. I mean, like, here's the no. He, he, like, Josh Rosen did not have a potential championship defense sitting on the other side. Like, yes. Do you trust the keys to I mean, true freshman's going to play like a true freshman at times? Like, not red. I mean, a lot of times when people say like, oh. Freshmen are getting better. Like they're often talking about red for redshirt freshman quarterbacks that have been sitting. But true freshmen, like true freshman Khalil Tate played like a true freshman as a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> well, it's it's absolutely difficult. I I think I'm just like like I said, I can't wait for fall camp to start because maybe fall camp will sort of like soften my stance on Fink and Sears. But I just was watching them going like, if they're going to be throwing three interceptions a game anyways, then I'll take three freshman interceptions a game. Like, yeah. you know, the, the the chips will fall where they fall. I just, they those guys were making freshman mistakes in spring camp. So I haven't seen JT Daniels make freshman mistakes yet because I haven't seen him throw. So it's <laughs> uh, it's that uh, the old the old adage of the, the, the everyone's favorite quarterback is the backup. That's because you never see them. So well, isn't he uh, on canvas? It's like super awkward where he's taking notes like, oh, yeah, he missed a yeah. note pass. Yeah, write that the, down the, in my notepad. Famous notepad. <laughs> like everyone, everyone, every USC writer wrote about his notepad. At yeah. Practice. <laughs> exactly. It's just a like clown nose. Like, you know, like it's a giant picture of a clown face. <laughs> no, no pressure, guys. The guys who, who's coming gunning for your prospective job, this high school freshman, this high school senior, is standing right behind you, taking notes on all the mistakes that you're making. Like, yeah, no pressure. The, the, I, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. Fink and Sears are under extraordinary amounts of pressure, so I, I empathize. But yeah, well, let's well, sort of like yeah. the risk reward though. Like, what's the upside though? Like, because if you're USC, like you, you do as a team, you have sort of like this potentially higher upside this season you you have all those returning offensive line starters you do have that defense which looks like it could be really good um you know like fink and sears probably have a you know a much uh, higher floor than daniels for part of the season like and you guys have a front-loaded schedule like would Mm -hmm. you try to just get through stanford and texas and then see what happens in Pac-12 play because you got a little more breathing room there. Well, the the new redshirt rules make this actually really interesting because uh, yeah. in a perfect world, you get through the first... But then, but then at the same time, if you get through the first uh, you know, eight games or so and you're doing okay, you probably... Don't want to, don't want to <laughs> like start risk Daniels losing the Pac-12 because, yeah, exactly. So maybe this is like a worst case scenario is you you can use JT Daniels the last four games of the season, but I I agree. I think that that I think a lot of us in the media are being a little bit blasé about like, oh yeah, just throw Daniels out there um, when you're right <laughs> about the front heavy schedule and all that. Like I said, going into spring camp, I would have told you that USC's offense uh, has enough playmakers that you can go in. And the quarterback that you need is just the quarterback who understands the playbook the best and makes the best decisions. So the one who's not going to turn the ball over, that's going to just distribute. And I thought that Fink would be that guy, but I, I just I'm so discouraged by that spring performance. The, the the fact of the matter is USC has who I would term three three really solid running backs that they can they can uh, have a, a running game built around. Um, Stephen Carr, if he's healthy, 100 percent. And then you have, like you said, that offensive line could 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 take some pressure off. The receivers certainly can take pressure off because of how you know potentially dominant USC has at least the two of Vaughn's and Pittman. I know I'm getting ahead of myself because we're going to go unit by unit, but the, the 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 crux of it is who it doesn't almost it doesn't matter who the quarterback is so long as he is the one that 
is keeping it simple and not being the one that that's going to go, you know, you don't need a Sam Darnold in this offense. Um, you just need somebody to hand off the ball and make the really simple, you know, slant and, and little bubble screen like that. Like that's the, you can, you can run a vanilla offense and win the pac 12. If you have USC's playmakers yeah, and with, and with the yeah. defense in, in place too. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Steven Carr because when we were talking about some of these top players at USC had Ronald Jones finally graduates. He had 1500 yards, averaged six yards a carry and 20 total touchdowns. That is such like, that is just outworldly numbers. And it's, it's funny because he was so good and Bryce Love was so good that players like Philip Lindsay and even Miles Gaskin, like, I mean, Miles Gaskin had numbers like Ronald Jones and <laughs> we oftentimes forgot which, you know, we'd mentioned one of them and not the other. There were just so many good running backs in the Pac 12. He leaves, and you mentioned Stephen Carr. My understanding, I think he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Yeah. He came in with okay, yeah, came with a lot of accolades. Six six foot, uh, two hundred pounds. So he has the size. Is he? I know you're going to have three guys basically that can step up, but can he be the guy uh, in this unit? I think so. Uh, he is a a surprisingly good all around back. Um, when he came in, I sort of expected him to be more of the sort of the all-purpose guy, which he is and he can do. He's already a proficient pass blocker. He's he's surprisingly strong. He he runs um he's able to 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 use what strength he has quite well. I think he's he's an all-around guy who absolutely could carry the load in the sense in 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 the way that USC would ha- ask any running back to carry the load like Rojo carried the load last year and he was still regularly switching out with Carr and with Ware and, and Malapai. So the way that USC uses their running backs, they're going to default to a rotation and have the featured guy like a Rojo. I think Carr can step right into that. The only big, big if there is he just came off of back surgery. Mm. And I don't mess with back surgery. Back surgery is the thing that scares me the most because that for me is the one that you're most likely to come back and maybe not be as you know explosive or as just sort of strong or as all of the things that you need to be a really good football player like back surgery messes with you completely it's and you in the back of your mind right as you're playing right i mean and and, and like i don't know where he'll be come the start of the season in in his like he's supposed to be able to go 100 percent in fall camp but like I don't know where he'll be physically by the time September rolls around in the sense of like, is USC getting the same Steven Carr back? Uh, because I just, I back surgery makes me so nervous mm. and really unfortunate because USC really could have used a 100%, you know, ripped and roaring Steven Carr in that opening month of the season. I don't know if that's who they're going to get. Let's say it's not, you know, let for, for, for I know, yeah, because you have, oh, Lord. <laughs> cause you have a Cedric where, and he's fine. I, I, this is my impression that he's been pretty good, but he is a backup that can play in limited minute. He averaged five yards a carry and that he got about 250 yards, um, a play. Yeah. Veve, uh, how do you say it? Is it Malapai? Uh, Vivai Malapia. Vivai, gosh, see, you're the best. This is this is what I gotta outsource <laughs> all of the names. Um, he had limited, just call him Vi. Vi, that's that makes it easy. Um, six foot two ten. He had fifty carries for about two hundred and fifty ish yards, five point three yards a carry. And then you have a guy named Marquis Step, who is uh, the number fourteen running back coming in. I mean, 
Like those guys are fine, but th- those guys don't seem like they w- they could step in and immediately be that USC running back that we're so used to. Is that is that seem accurate, or am I missing something here? One hundred percent accurate. Carr is the USC running back who could run his way into the you know the pantheon of great USC running backs if if he develops well enough. Where is 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 a solid as solid as they come. He is solid in literally every way. He's a solid blocker. He's a solid receiver. He's a solid runner, but he's not flashy. Um, you know, you give him twenty carries a game, he's probably going to do pretty well. He's probably gonna get, you know five yards a carry and be and be fine, but he's not going to wow you. I am a huge fan of Vi uh, Vi Malapai. I I love this kid. Um, he is deceptively fast, and he's sort of like a wide body. Um, so he's got that nice strength to run inside, but he's also just he he can take off on the outside and and he's just like that specialist of the ten yard run. Like he just he every time he got the ball last year, I swear to God, he had he got a ten yard run. Um, but they're all injury prone, every single one of them. <laughs> Stephen Carr is coming off a back injury. Said Ware is basically just like every week switching between an ankle problem and a groin problem. Like Nick Wilson, yeah. Yeah, He's always injured. Flip a coin, coin, will he play? Like, you know, oh, it's bingo. It's the hamstring this week. It's the (laughs) ankle this week. And Malapia doesn't have a great injury record either. These are all guys who are constantly injured. So that if I have any worries here, it's that will they all be available when you need them all? Because as a unit, I think USC is fine with the the four that they have. Marquis Stepp is coming off of an injury out of high school. So like, oh, jeez. Anxiety here. If all goes really well, I th- this running back core is perfectly fine. This could easily lead USC to the Pac-12 title. Th- the, these four guys. If all goes well, mm-hmm. is where I'm have some anxiety for USC because I could see a scenario where USC doesn't have a running back available <laughs> when they get to week six because all of these guys are injured. That's my fear. Well, and to speak to the depth with the injury, with a big, giant, looming injury bug, like, you know, hanging and flying over our, our heads here, uh, Malapai, I didn't even think he was going to see the field last year. I think he was a big surprise for, for you all down in Los Angeles, right, last year? Well, I think it might have been a big surprise for anyone who hasn't heard me wax poetic about <laughs> by Malapai since the fall. He came in in 2016 fall camp and instantly won my heart. Uh, and then he uh, broke his collarbone before the season, and so he redshirted. So no one got to see – like, I was raving about him back in fall of 2016, and we didn't get to see him because of that injury. And then – so, yeah, it was not surprising to me when in the limited touches that he got in 2017 for a variety of reasons, he looked good. Like, you know, he's getting two, three touches a game, and he's looking good in all of them, but he's clearly not the guy that they that, – you know, not the guy yet, not not – I don't know if he'll ever be the guy, um, but like I said, it's sort of like in the same mold as where, where these guys are never going to be like the NFL prospect. They can carry your running game with the in 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 a in a in a group um, drive from drive. I think they're perfectly acceptable. Okay, but uh, I mean, I th- I mean, I watched the U.S. <clears throat> I mean, it wasn't a spring game, spring practice, let's call it, um, and. It was. It reflected the the faith I think the coaching staff had in uh, Fink and Sears. I mean, they ran the ball a lot. Yes. Uh, in, in that spring practice, um, and I, I mean, do these do any of these guys? If Carr can't play, I mean, running back committee is one thing, and Carr is really your your home run threat 
Step is not he's more of a power back as I understand yeah. it. Yeah. Step, um, Step might be a goal line kind of option. I don't think he'll do much more than that. I mean, Short it's just, of the it's, crisis, which is possible. I, I mean I just when I look at this USC roster, like it's it's weird because I feel like the defensive recruiting has just been lights out and this is the first time I think in a long time I've looked at a USC roster and not seeing the sort of obvious next guy up. Um, sit, I mean, in quarterback, obviously, there's not the obvious next guy up. But um, beyond Carr, there's not an obvious next guy up for the next you know, starting USC running back who could be that sort of feature back. Uh, in the stable, and um, I think this year, this is the year you guys really might need one. One hundred percent. But a lot of that is going to come down to. Uh, I think USC is going to run the ball a lot because of the quarterback situation, and I think that, like I said, in the perfect world, I think they have the horses to do a sort of run-oriented offense. But all of this is going to come down to whether or not the offensive line cre- because oh that's the one thing I wanted to say too not not to look back too far but like Ronald Jones the thing that I love the most about Ronald Jones his highlight reel will show you those the the breakout touchdown runs that he throw that he that he had but when you watch an individual game and watch each individual carry that he actually had like his most impressive impre- impressive runs were often the 2 yard runs like the 2 yard runs where there's literally nothing there and he's still managing somehow to not have that be a tackle for loss mm, yeah um where what USC needs is for Ware and and Mal- Malapai because I think Carr can do that too. For Ware and Malapai, like if USC's offense, if the offensive line is the same as it was last year, more or less, like those guys are going to need to be able to prove that that they can make a little bit out of nothing because that's going to be that. I mean, you know, in a in a really frustrating idea where the offensive line doesn't get better which is entirely possible that might be the reality for for all of these guys and i'm really high on vimal api so i think he can do it but i also don't necessarily have a ton of like proof to back me up on in terms of like these guys are going to be able to make the running game better than that offensive line is able to make it well there's another part of the offense here to keep in mind and that's the receiving core and it's interesting with USC, so you mo- you lose five star five star wide receiver Joseph Lewis, uh, Dante Burnett leaves the school for the NFL, Jalen Green transfers, and you still have one of the best wide receiving cores on paper in the Pac-12. Who are some of these players that we should keep an eye on um, as we move in? The one thing that to keep in mind, well, nope, never mind. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say that you have a you know you have a size problem, but USC never has a size problem. Well, all your all your wide receivers are uh, over six six foot. Pardon me, I'm so used to Arizona and talking about our five eight wide receivers. <laughs> so, um, uh, so what kind of record do you have, and who should we keep an eye on for? Yeah, USC has put a huge premium on on getting just like the six three, six four, six five dudes because this whole the, the, Tyler Vaughn's is one of the shorter receivers in that in that wide receiving core this year, and he's six two, and he's got amazing body control, so he's he plays taller than six two too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everything starts with him though. Tyler Vaughn's was clearly the one who last year came on at the end of the season as a really consistent receiving option for USC. By the time USC plays Ohio State, it's very much Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's running the show. And those those guys are both that mold of, you know, tall, uh, strong, um, great body control, good hands. Uh, they should be a huge asset to whoever, whoever USC ultimately assigns at quarterback. 
because these are guys who sort of have that 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 catch radius kind of thing about them where you just put it somewhere near them and they'll go and grab it. Um, the problem is, is that, and I like that you said this is on paper because it very much is on paper. Tyler Vaughn's had a really promising redshirt freshman year. Michael Pittman had a really promising redshirt freshman year, except that he's constantly injured too. Things that make me frustrated. Uh, after them, it's so many question marks. And there's a lot of guys who USC could end up having break out, but I don't necessarily know that I could tell you who that'll be. The coaches really like Velas Jones. Um, they tried to get him involved in the offense last year on jet sweeps that were the bane of my existence because they never worked. <laughs> I hate jet sweeps. Unless <laughs> you're Oregon re- State like 10 years ago. The jet sweep is the worst. I don't even know. USC has some really nice play designs on offense. The jet sweep is not one of them. <laughs> oh, my, I could do a dissertation on how bad USC's jet sweeps were. But um, So, yeah, I would expect Velas Jones to have a role in the offense, but um, I would look out for Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown, the uh, the modern-day uh, five-star receiver in, in 2018, who is another argument for maybe if JT Daniels is the guy who, who comes in. He already has built-in chemistry with Amon Ross St. Brown. But, uh, yeah, I didn't uh, think about that. Yeah, and, and then the, the, the wild card is very much, um, you know, Josh Amadabebe, who is... Uh, just a physical freak, another one of those like six, six, four, six, five guys, uh, who's just still really raw. I don't know if this is the year he breaks through or not. Um, really nice kid. I, I'd like to see him break through, but he also is dealing with injuries all the time. Um, but, but yeah, that like the, those are the. If I had to give you the starting three, it's definitely Vaughn's Pittman, and I'll go on the limb and say St. Brown. Velas Jones will continue his jet sweep uh, revolution, and then Josh Ramada Baby maybe is a guy who who breaks through. I I'm not expecting a ton from the other guys, but these are all really you know highly rated prospects coming out of high school. So any one of the any one of those backups could certainly break through and and surprise me. But uh, we will have to see on that. Yeah, basically anybody that you mentioned besides Velas Jones was like a top 25 recruit coming out of high school. I mean, th- this is just yeah. such a stacked wide receiving and tight end course. So we got in this debate and like, I'm not going to drag you into this right now, but just know that I, <laughs> I love tight ends. I think they're the cheat code for, um, uh, for college football because you have these six, four, you know, 240 pound guys catching balls against like five, eight linebackers oftentimes. Me too. And, yeah, I know. It's like, it just drives me nuts that, well, anyway. So just know that it's a very hot topic over at Wildcat Radio. Um, I think it's is is Daniel uh, Amata Bebe. Is is he the the tight end? I know you guys all USC always uses tight ends so well. Is he one of them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Daniel. So his brother Josh is a wide receiver. His older brother Daniel is the tight end. And um, unfortunately, I mean, he was primed to. But I mean, I was pegging him as a potential Mackey candidate, like legitimate Mackey candidate um, in 2017. But he had a hip flexor over the summer that basically just he never really got his 2017 season going. So there are really high hopes for what he can do if he stays healthy. And then you got Tyler Petit, who's a senior who um, I actually think Tyler Petit is now a little bit underrated in that he's one of those tight ends who's just sort of all around good, not a spectacular pass catcher. Not a spectacular blocker, but he's just good enough at both um, to be really, really valuable. And the thing, the story on him that I'm always telling people is, 
uh, his first two years at USC, he didn't realize that he had sleep apnea. He couldn't put not put on any weight. And oh. so uh, last spring, they figured out that he had sleep apnea, got him sorted out with that, and he suddenly put on, you know, 20 pounds. Yeah, he's 6'4", is what he's listed at now, which is great. And he could barely get up above 225 in his first couple of years. It was really the thing that was halting his development, and, that, and they figured out that's because he wasn't sleeping um, properly. And so now, so then he put on a lot of weight really quickly. Um, and to me, you could see how, like, this is somebody who's used to existing in a sort of 220 kind of body, all of a sudden being 250 and like, what do I do with my body? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm very curious to see what he does now that he's had a year of sort of growing into this sort of, you know, man body uh, and seeing what he can do because he was a really, really, uh, you know, a highly touted pro- who isn't on USC, but a highly touted <laughs> prospect coming out of high school. Um, and I, th- I think he could be sort of the unsung hero. USC always has a random tight end that's an unsung hero, and Tyler P- Petit's my pick. But Imada Baby is the more flashy of the two. And you're right, USC is willing. USC uses tight ends, um, and that could be a key to settling in a quarterback if if you can just sort of give the give them a little bit of a safety blanket with the tight end. Um, and they have the, the two that are there are certainly, if healthy more guys with injury problems um if they're healthy then then things should be the, the things should work out for both of them yeah well shout out to Keyshawn pai young i just love that name that's a good one <laughs> he's he's so much fun i just <laughs> i he i feel bad for him he's like not good enough to be a usc corner and not good enough to be a usc receiver i think he could be a super productive player anywhere else yeah transfer to arizona he'll be fine i think think he would do fine at arizona he's just short enough to be one of your great (laughs) receivers that's good well wait uh let's let's move to the offensive line and i want to throw it uh, Rob to you because you have a better handle on this stuff and one of the things that I love about this podcast is again we it's hard for us it's hard for me at least and some of the other people at Wildcat Radio and 12 Pack Radio to gauge an offensive line so it's always fun to talk about somebody that watches every game but I, I would like to hear your your thoughts Rob on on this offensive line and any questions you might have for Alicia. Well, yeah, last year, I mean, I think the offensive line, you knew there was going to be some trouble with replacing the four starters. Um, you know, like like any 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 fan base can talk themselves into. I, I remember a couple years ago and like Nick Foles last season, uh, Arizona replaced four starters. And I was talking myself into, oh, we got great wide receivers. The running back coming back. Nick Foles is coming back. We'll be fine. Definitely we were not that. fine. <laughs> um and even at I mean, USC, you can talk yourself into you oh, know, yeah. the, the stars like, oh, these these are all highly touted players. But it takes an offensive line time to gel. Um, and I, I it, yeah, I, I project that the offensive line is going to be better than they were last year. Uh, and they definitely have to figure out run blocking better than they did. And they looked they looked good in the spring, uh, actually running the ball. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's there's some hope there. Um but with all those starters coming back, I mean, is there is there any part that sort of jumps out to you where you're concerned um, beyond the sort of like, oh, well, they were OK, but not great. Um, you know, is there is there any you know spot? I, there didn't seem to be a lot of uncertainty about like when I was going through and I'm the one that put together the, the, the roster preview for USC. There wasn't a lot of uncertainty about like who's going to be in what spots. Um 
you know, so it's, it's more about, are they, are they actually going to gel and come together? But is there, are there any spots that jump out as, is like, all right, you know, we could have some competition at this spot. Yeah, you're right in that things are very settled. Uh, We know what the starting, we'll call it the starting, the six rotation is, I guess. We have the the four starters that are coming back. And Mm -hmm. then the only thing really to deal with is left tackle because Toa Lobendon is moving to center to fill Nico Fala being gone, which is really the only departure. He moves to center, and that means that the left tackle has to get taken care of. And that'll be filled by Clayton Johnston or Austin Jackson, um, and both of them will play either way. So one of them will start, and the other one will see a lot of playing time on the right and the left in USC's in the rotation of that offensive line. So it's very settled in that sense. You know who the six are. They're going to be that six, and short of an injury issue, um, those are the six that you're going to see. It's just a question of like whose name is going to be on the starting sheet at left tackle. Where I have anxiety, and this is my number. I, people are like freaking out about the the quarterback thing and I get I get it I totally get it but my biggest thing is it doesn't matter who USC's quarterback is if this offensive line is good I just don't know if this offensive line is going to be good and and it's it's the classic thing where I I I've I've sort of tried to cut the you know to to stuff this in my head this whole offseason exactly what you talked about like you talk yourself into things and every year I talk myself into the video game mentality of these players are all a year older, so their stats are going to go up because they have more experience. <laughs> Talk my language. <laughs> that, that, that actually does work better on offense than it does on defense. It, does it play in, out? In reality, it does, it does work a little better there, uh, oddly enough, because offense is more about scheme and defense is more about pure athleticism and reaction. But yes, it's, oh, that makes it's, sense. it's, it's easy to talk yourself into. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And and so, yeah, so you can talk yourself into this because, oh, USC is returning four starters and more or less six players who were all extremely involved in the rotation last year. These are guys who, for the first time, I mean, this is now a, a, an offensive line coach who has stuck around for three years after USC was literally replacing one every year. Um, so the offensive, the offensive line coaches remain the same, so it's, there's been a continuity there. There's continuity in the personnel. Um, these guys have all had time to now gel and get that get that sort of chemistry and understanding of scheme and understanding of each other and all this kind of stuff that you can like talk yourself into. Yeah, like their stats are going to go up. But there's this underlying anxiety about, well, maybe Chuma Adoga is only as good as Chuma Adoga will ever be. And maybe Andrew Voorhees is well, Andrew Voorhees probably is the best is the one that you could put the most faith in improving because he was starting as a fresh as a true freshman last year. And anytime we're talking about true freshman offensive linemen, you're talking about true freshman offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, but Toa Lobendon, like, is, is he just is he just Toa Lobendon? Like all of these guys who 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 uh, are involved in this offensive line were the offensive line who started against Ohio State and Ohio State's <laughs> defensive line is exceptional. But they got absolutely mauled. Like that was the most embarrassing offensive line performance I have seen from USC arguably ever, maybe since, since USC lost to Boston college uh, under, under Steve Sarkeesian. And that was particularly embarrassing because Boston college is not Ohio state, but that, that offensive line, like all of those guys are back. So the confidence that maybe this offensive line will be better. And maybe this offensive line will be good enough to withstand strong defensive lines like Ohio State, like Texas is going to bring to the table, um, like Notre Dame is going to bring to the table. Maybe, like, I, I think they'll be more gelled and more experienced, that's for sure. 
But it, will they not get beat physically? Like, I don't know if the answer to that is yes. Because coming out of the Ohio State game, Clay Helton, the thing that he said straight up was physical beats. That's what happened to Ohio State. It wasn't that they were missing assignments. It's that they were just being beat physically by Ohio State's athletes on the defensive line. And that could just be a deficiency of these individual players. It could certainly be a deficiency of the way that they're being coached. If you have one, if I have one great bright hope to cling to, it's that USC brought in a new running backs coach, Tim Drevno, uh, who was an offensive line coach who made his name out on the offensive line. And he's now the run game coordinator. So maybe he'll have a better sense of how to tailor the run blocking schemes to these particular offensive linemen. But that is me clinging to please, 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 please be a good offensive line because I don't like watching bad offensive line play. Like, <laughs> and it's not like, and it's not like you haven't, re- you know, recruited well, right? Austin oh, Jackson, yeah. number nine tackle in 2017. Uh, Frank Martin, number 12 guard in 2016. Elijah Vera Tugger. Chuma Adoga was a five star. Yeah. I mean, the, again, it's all, it's on paper. Like, I, we need to move to the defense because we're almost at an hour. So, oh, yeah. uh, but <laughs> just, just know, just so, so for people listening, yeah, I know, which this is great. Two part. Alicia knows her stuff. That's why, that's why we go so long. I am long winded. So this is all my fault. I apologize. <laughs> well, just, just to sum up, there is a situ- there is a scenario where, you have a true freshman quarterback playing like a true freshman quarterback with an injured uh, bell cow running back with an unproven wide receiving core with a offensive line. That's a mess. There is also an alternate reality where you have um, a, either a, um, a backup quarterback that steps up and actually starts playing well or, and, or a true freshman quarterback that is playing up to the number two ranking in the country that he is with a, a completely healthy, USC running core with an awesome wide receiving core and an offensive line that gels. Just know that's, that's why USC is, was like a, a I think their season win total was eight. <laughs> that is the reason, but um, that's pretty much exactly how all talk of USC should be described for the rest of like, for the rest of the next two months. It's just literally <laughs> there. The, those possibilities and literally everything in between. That's why it's impossible to talk about this team, <laughs> but it'll here be, it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see in the early season, where keep an eye on the if the tight ends and the running backs are staying in to block um, or they're actually going out on routes. And part of that may be that they're needed for pass protecting the quarterback. It also may be that they say, hey, the quarter, the, none of these young quarterbacks are getting their, their, through their progression. So giving them like their fifth option isn't worth it anyway. But uh, it'll be interesting to see the interplay of like if the line comes together, um, what they're able to do. Yeah, well, let's move to the defense because that is the more optimistic uh, standpoint because this is a really good – this should be a really good defense. They, Like you mentioned, we already talked about they were pretty consistently good last year um, with an ability to kind of level up on that front. Let's start with the defensive line. Christian Rector is back um, from his injury. I think you mentioned he had injured his hand, Alicia. Um, yeah, broken hand. And USC traditionally has a really good defensive line. What do we have this year? Uh, a defensive line with a ton of potential. So um, Marlon Tupelotu was supposed to be a big part of the defensive line last year, and he got injured, back injury. Another back injury that mm. makes me nervous. Yeah. Um, he is a potential starter there. Brandon Peely was a guy who didn't expect to play as a freshman, but he came out and actually gave a good account of himself at nose tackle. He's a, just a, They call him a 
giant dancing polar bear and that is an apt description this is a dude who like plays basketball really well and he's like 300 pounds um he could play running back like that's how athletic this kid is Mm. uh and then usc has you know rector who's a who's a really good pass rusher they brought in a juco transfer uh caleb tremblay who i haven't seen enough of to to really say if he'll if he'll have an impact but um there's a lot of like usc has recruited the defensive line quite well over the past two years, that just means that, and that's after several years of not doing it quite so well. So USC has some real promising prospects, just very little like sure thing there. There's a lot of redshirt freshmen who are going to have to contribute, redshirt sophomores who are going to have to contribute. And that might be where like the balancing out of there's talent there, but there's also a ton of inexperience. Oh, and I forgot to mention Jay Tufele, who I think was one of the stars of spring camp another really, you know, five-star kind of defensive line coming out of high school. The mixture of all those guys will give USC the ability to actually rotate, which they haven't really been able to do because of injuries, and ha- bringing a higher level of talent to that front. It's just about how quickly they're able to gel because there is tons of inexperience. Yeah, I think you've actually talked to me. And so we gave the, the grade as a B just because there is that on paper. But I mean, when you mention, you know, Jay Dufele, was it Tufele? Yeah, Jay Tufele. Uh, doing, you know, doing really well in spring. And then the return of Christian Rector, who had 11 tackles for a loss, seven and a half sacks, six quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, all, all Pac-12 second team. I mean, like, that guy is legit. Plus a dancing polar bear. And then you add Malik Dorton, who had, like, significant playing time and a JUCO transfer that was one of the top five in the country. I mean, like... Basically, all these guys need to do is just like rush the quarterback and be really big and strong and, and fleet footed, which, you know, it sounds all great on paper until you actually do <laughs> easy, it. Easy does it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you are recruiting those types of players. It's not like, um, I, I know I, I, you look at other teams and I'd be a little bit more worried about not having as much game time, um, on this team. D- does that make sense, uh, to, to you, Rob? Yeah. I actually, I, I'm pretty excited with Rector moving back more to his normal position, uh, and, you know, even though he was injured a bit last year and, and not filling in for Gustin, um, I think that's going to really shore up what they're doing more on the inside. USC is in some ways running more of a three-man line instead of a four-man line, even though they list themselves as a four-three. Um, and that should – and Gustin coming back too. Gustin just – he's a force of nature, um, and he's going to free up – uh, when he's rushing, he's going to free things up for these other guys in ways that um, they weren't able to do last year. And I, I really do think that, yes, there is some inexperience, but there's enough experience coming back uh, to really build around. And uh, I think these guys, I don't think some of these younger guys are are going to have to be, you know, taking a lot of really, really, you know, really important fourth quarter snaps early on, uh, you hope. What do you, what do you think, Alicia? So would, if you gave them a grade going into this season, just knowing what you know now, what would be like the preseason grade for, for this unit? I think, I think that B grade is probably fair. I think it's a B on potential, um, which could certainly rise to an A. You just, you just sort of have to see it first. Um, the, the good thing is that Clancy Prendergast, his defense is designed to be simple. And they're not going to ask a lot of these guys that they are going to sort of that thing we were talking about where on defense, it's about the athleticism and and that kind of thing. Like they will be asked to just stand in there and just, you know, fill their fill their gap and make their play. Just be a monster. Yeah, exactly. And and physically, you can see where all of these guys can do that. And and if there's one, you know, I have some 
questions about USC's coaching staff in some areas, but the one area I really don't have any questions about, Kenichi Odeze on the defensive line has done a hell of a job. He's he's that that position coach where you look at it and go, you can go man-to-man and say, yes, I have seen the improvement from all of these players. Was this defensive line great last year? No, but you could see the improvement game-to-game-to-game-to-game, month-to-month from all of these young guys as they progressed. So he's doing a really good job uh, as a defensive line coach technique-wise, getting these guys ready for games. Uh, so I have more confidence in his ability to get this defensive line going than, say, Neil Calloway's ability to get that offensive line to be better than they were. And Pac-12 fans, that is the weak part of this defense. Let's get into the most disgusting <laughs> unit I have ever seen in my entire life, which is the USC <laughs> linebacking core. It's funny. So Rob, like we mentioned a little earlier, had done all of the uh, the background research on uh, the likely roster and you know, starting players and everything. And he literally just sent me a text that said, can you just look at the USC recruiting class at linebacker? And I did. And I, I literally, like, I, my jaw just dropped to the floor. And that doesn't include the players that are already on on this squad. So this is probably, I would say without a doubt, the best linebacking core in the Pac-12 this year. Um, well, let me ask you, Rob, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I wrote it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you have a ton. I mean, it's not just that you have a ton of potential coming back. And I, I listed Porter Augustin, you know, in with the linebackers, even though he's going to be, a you know, more of a rushbacker hybrid most of the time. Um you know, you have, I mean, Cameron Smith is a tackling machine. Um, you bring back, you know, John Houston has a hundred tackles, you know, experience coming back. Uh, and, and, you know, Jordan Iosefa. Yep. I'll give it a whirl. It. Yeah. All right. Phonetic. <laughs> <We> got one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's just a ton of experience sitting there. And then behind it, you just have just bananas athleticism. Um, you know, like, uh, that's and potential. I mean, Hunter Eccles hasn't played. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman. You kind of expect him to line up behind Gustin. Uh, he may not even actually even line up behind Gustin. I mean, he may he may be you know even further down the depth chart. But there's a lot of there's a lot of talent sort of uh, you know waiting in the wings, you know peeking out uh, behind these guys behind you know really all the experience you have because. Cameron Smith is just going to, you know, be able to sit there and plug up holes for you um, really well. I mean, there's just, uh, you look across this and you just think, oh, yeah, these guys, these guys should be set. Alicia, do you share our optimism about this just, just uh, inappropriately talented linebacking core? I absolutely do. But to the point where so I do I put together like a, a mock depth chart before USC does just trying to guess like how it's going to work. And I swear doing the linebackers was <laughs> impossible because you're sitting there going like, am I really going to put five star all everything Pali Teote? Like, is he really going to be third or fourth string this year? Like, is that really how it's going to go? Except that you look at it, it's like, well, but. You know, Levi Jones has already been there for a year. And, like, they have John Houston already at a starter. Like, Nate Ote, Solomon Tuliapupu, like, those are, like, legit potential freshman starting guys. And they're not – they're going to have trouble seeing the field this year because of the established names that USC already has in this this linebacker core. And you've talked about Gustin. You talked about Smith. Clancy Pendergast was really, really pleased with John Houston's uh, progression – in at the tail end of 2017 going into 2017 i didn't think that john houston was going to win a starting job he's still he he was very undersized 
Um, and and I just I didn't see the strength. He got blocked out of plays constantly in the first half of the season. You could see as he continued to put on muscle and grow into the into more of a like you know I say this now overusing it, but like that man body kind of thing. Where by the end of the season, Clancy Pendergast was really really. Uh, complimentary of the way that he had grown and sort of started to understand his role next to Cameron Smith. So now that you have the two inside linebackers who are pretty well settled and both looked really good uh, during spring camp, you get Port Augustine back, which no one expected that to happen because he was supposed to leave for the NFL, except the broken foot happened. And Jordan Iacefa is a guy that Clancy Pendergast absolutely loves and will find a way to get on the field. And he, the only reason he ended up at outside linebacker was because USC had those injury issues and they sort of tossed him over there for I think um basically as a as a as a a spread offense sort of fixer out on the outside there to to fill in um when they didn't want to use Christian Rector who was just a little bit you know over he was a defensive lineman that they're trying to put out there to to defend these sort of Arizona type offenses it wasn't really working and ISF did that job fine and he's going to be like he's going to be I don't even know who's going to back him up because there are so many of these guys can I manga the 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 he came in as an early enrollee, Kanai Munga, and just absolutely dominated during spring. So now, like I'm sitting here going, like I was pegging you for a red shirt, but now, like you might be the dude who comes in and challenges Jordan ISF for first starting job. If there's anyone on this in this linebacker core who could get unseated by one of these really talented young players, it's probably Iosefa. And even then, I wouldn't necessarily like peg because he is a a, a favorite of the coaching staff, but. It it is an embarrassment of riches in there, and it's it's a it's almost making me sad because USC doesn't rotate a lot. Pendergast doesn't really believe in it. He believes in putting his best eleven out there and letting letting them you know do their thing oh, for better. Or for oh, worse. that's a bummer, man. Because you're just gonna let, let me just give some context well, for people. USC doesn't transfer. Like you guys don't usually suffer like the rash of transfers that a no, lot of other every- programs do. Because generally, people I think just like living in LA and going to USC. But and I just look down the depth chart. There is no way you guys keep the like this. This oh recruiting class is unbelievable at linebacker. Like yes. holy moly, there's no way you keep all. Like how would they? Why would like unless they're just like man, I just love living in the dorms in LA. <laughs> you know what it is though. Like guys love playing for Clancy Pendergast. Like, even though he has this rotation thing where he doesn't really rotate and doesn't get the guys behind involved, I think there's, like, a enough of, like, a merit and respect system to it that guys just love him. Like, guys love the stuffing out of him. So it sort of, if there's that trust that, like, if I'm good enough to play, I will play, maybe that's what ultimately, like, keeps these guys around. But, you know, I guess if if you look to the future, I mean, Smith is going to be gone. Gustin's going to be yeah. gone. ISF and Houston could could both leave too. I don't think they will, but they could. So there will be some turnover for next year if you're if you're looking ahead to like where are these guys all going to fit. But this year, I don't know how many of these guys are going to actually see the field. And that I, makes there's, sense. there's still like five or six like great recruits you guys brought in in one class. I was amazed, like yes. one class, like and they all said, "Sure, I'll sign." Yeah. Here, yes. So here's the context, right? So USC brings back four legitimate you know, would start on basically any any unit in the Pac-12 starters. And then they bring in the number one, number three, number nine, number 14, number 21 linebackers in their class. And that doesn't include the number nine, number 10, and number 34 freshmen of the 2017 class. Like, it is, it is 
just go out and buy this our, our preview just so you can just look in awe <laughs> like what this class is because we literally list them all out all their class of it i mean it's 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 pretty impressive but but we are we are almost done let's get to the secondary because one of the biggest <laughs> players that um that and this is fairly recent news is jack jones who was going to be basically the my understanding is the anchor of your secondary on the corner there uh has is no longer en- enrolled at usc which is a total bummer because he's such a good player and had a lot of promise and he was still fairly young he's gone um but the secondary is still in decent shape with iman marshall and a couple other players so alicia how optimistic are you about the secondary knowing that that uh, jones is gone shockingly optimistic considering that usc on paper lost a third team all-american the thing is that third team all-american like is a running joke now in usc circles because I don't know how he got that. Like he had like <laughs> he was boomer bust. I knew that. <laughs> he had like three really good games in the start of the season, and an All American voter like just sort of fell in love with him then, and then didn't watch USC ever again in the season. <laughs> so Jack Jones, like you said, five star talent, no question. Athlete, like as an athlete, five star, but he had uh, disciplinary issues where he drew too many fouls. Uh, he seemed to struggle with sort of assignments and, and, and being consistent in that sense. So losing him sucks because he might have found some consistency and lived up to his potential. But at the same time, USC has so much more depth at, uh, at corner um, this year. And that's one of the things I, I didn't mention earlier. Like underrated storyline from 2017 is USC had basically run out of corners. They had Iman Marshall, they had Jack Jones, and they had, they had Isaiah Langley behind them. And when Iman Marshall got injured, uh, either against Notre Dame or before, I don't really remember, when he got injured and they were down to Langley and Jones, they literally did not have any more cornerbacks available to them. Mm. Everyone else was injured. Um, So coming into this year, suddenly there's a lot of guys available. So they got Iman Marshall. Langley's coming back. He now has some good experience. Greg Johnson, who the coaches loved coming out last year, was number one athlete in the the, – 2017 class but had a shoulder injury he'll be back and competing for a starting job jonathan lockett who had been a starting nickelback for usc before undergoing this long process of a hip of like multiple hip surgeries and stuff that took basically a year and a half to get sorted um he's back love this kid he's a tenacious sort of hard-nosed corner that i think is going to see a lot of playing time this year if not be a starter uh they and then they brought in you want to talk about like the embarrassment of riches at uh, at linebacker? Like you look at USC's cornerback recruiting class from this past year, and it is stupid. They got <laughs> Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart, who are both top five corners in the class. And on top of that, they got Chase Williams, who's another you know four star guy who will probably end up redshirting, but has a bright future ahead of him. So all of a sudden, they've got two freshmen coming in who could be day one starters. And they bring a senior Iman Marshall back who's new sort of renewed energy and the like. And they get all these injured guys back. I am actually very confident that USC will figure out the corner situation. And it'll be not just improved, but vastly improved from the 2017 season, which was already pretty good, just really prone to big, big, big mistakes. So if you're playing NCAA football 2019 or 18 or whatever, um, and you're looking, you're flipping through all the teams. You go to USC. You got to give the USC defense an A, right? Yes. Okay. What would you I, give? What I would, think. Mm-hmm. 
USC's I genuinely think USC's defense will be extre- extremely good this year. Yeah, I, and I, I I think they'll be exceptional. In fact, it would be the reason you win the Pac-12 South. It's yes. that good. But what about yeah. the what about the offense? What were the grade that you give the offense? Uh, I will be generous with a B, and that's because I think. USC's offense gets graded on the curve of like having seen the Matt Leinerts and Reggie Bushes and all of those of the world. Like USC's offense is usually pretty decent because they have the athletes. Uh, so you know a bad USC offense is usually a B. So I'll I'll go with sort of a a, a B in the sense that they'll be good. Again, the question is like USC's ceiling will be determined by if they're great. Okay, Rob. Real fast. Don't get into all the numbers because people could see them at Wildcat Radio AZ and <laughs> by the preview. But uh, but for 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 real, uh, what do your projections have the USC offense and defense this year? And then we'll wrap it up. So the USC's defense projects at number eight nationally, and I actually I think they have upside versus that projection. I think with Gustin coming back, I think Rector could actually hit double-digit sacks with Gustin coming back. I, I think USC's defense could be even better than the model projects them at. The offense projects at number 21. Um, I have, I have, I worry that there might be downside versus the projection there, um, just with what we know about how the quarterbacks have performed um, and the potential injury for Carr. Uh, 2021, that might they they might be playing like that at the end of the season. We'll see how they play early. Okay, there you have it. Um, well, okay. Last question, Alicia. The uh, Vegas, I think, moved the season win total for USC up. It was seven and a half, and they moved it up. I think it's to eight now. What would you take uh, for the number of wins the entire season for USC? Um, I am being cautiously optimistic and I would take the over on that. I think, I think a fair, a fair win total is probably nine. Um, I've been, I'm banging the drum that USC should be winning 10 games this season. Just in the context of this season, you can lose You're You're probably going to lose at least one in September, if not two. But by the end of the season, this there's too much talent on this team to accept much less than 10 wins. And, I'm setting myself up for disappointment, but I'm also looking at it from the perspective of this is year three. This is top five recruiting classes every year. This is consistent coaching staff. This is the time when USC needs to prove that despite the quarterback question, you should still be winning nine, ten games. Okay. With this roster. Well, there you have it. Uh, Alicia, where, where can people find you one more time? Yeah, at not, at your home. not at your home, not at your home. Well, I mean, you know, I'm giving my address, but yeah, at Penguin of Troy on Twitter, uh, at Randall Troy on Twitter. Um, I'm always there looking to engage with people so long as you're, you know, I as always say on the Internet, be nice. And uh, and yeah. And and you and uh, and the Reina Troy Twitter account is one of the best follows in the Pac-12. Definitely follow them. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Twelve Pack Radio uh, at Twelve Pack Radio. Subscribe to the podcast for free. And uh, in our next preview, we were supposed to do Colorado, but why would we? Why would we do Colorado when USC is more interesting? But now Colorado is next <laughs> with the guys from the Free Balling Podcast. Uh, Alicia, thank you so much for coming on, Rob. Thanks for your time, and we will catch everybody. Uh, next week.
All right. Um, thanks, Alicia. That was great. Really appreciate uh, you coming on. Oh, of course. Sorry, sorry for my long-windedness. I, I, I'm a marathon podcaster. I don't even notice. Oh, no. This was well, well, A, it's the most interesting team, I think, in the Pac-12. And then B, we went about uh, an hour and 15, which isn't, which isn't too bad. Oh, I just was like, true. I saw the hour mark and we were like on the offensive line. We, were, like, oh, we oh. hadn't even started the defense yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's normal for me. <laughs> um, cool. Well, but I will. Thanks for having Sure. Do you want me to uh, do you want the the actual file or do you just want me to, to put it on our, our hosting stuff? Um, oh, you can you can do everything on your hosting. That's fine. That's oh. uh, that's cool. If you just like at me in tweets and stuff, I'll promote it from all of my all of the ways that I can promote it. Um, OK. Um, super. Well, I'll, um, I'm going to edit this tonight and, uh, I'll get it up in the morning and, um, I'm going to stay on this so I can record the wildcat radio, um, uh, intro and outro, but, um, thanks. Thanks everybody for coming on. I appreciate it. For sure. See you guys later. Thanks. All right. Catch you later guys.